0: So, welcome to Unstandardized English, episode four of season one. They want me to include season numbers. So, um, this one is a little bit different, and you'll see when I get to the main segment. We're talking in this episode about intelligence. We're talking about the word smart. Um, Before I get into my discussion or dialogue, uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, there's a lot of discourse around, quote-unquote, multiple intelligences, uh, and I'm not going to spend much time on that. I would say that to at least some extent I agree because it just means people have aptitude for different things to a certain extent, and that's certainly true. I can tell you that I certainly don't have much aptitude myself for manual labor related things. On the other hand, can I not do it? Am I simply unable or have I just not had the right experience that has allowed me to figure it out? I'm not, you know, aside from, let's say, a disability or something, uh, are people really truly unable to do things or are they just not familiar, not comfortable? Because I would have told you eight, nine years ago that I, whatever intelligence I had for physical activity, I don't mean manual labor, but I mean like sports, was very low. And then in 2011, I watched the New York Marathon and felt bad about myself for being who I was at the time. And then my friend suggested that I sign up for the following year, and I did. And I've run nine marathons and all this stuff that you probably heard things about if you know who I am. But, uh, so I would have told you that I was bad at sports. It was like part of my internal narrative that I was bad at sports, and I was wrong. So, you know, maybe we all have a certain level of aptitude. On the other hand, like, if we're talking about that, I certainly don't have the aptitude to be a professional. I could go out there and run 20 miles a day, and I don't think I would become a 230 marathoner. So there are still levels to some extent. Um, And I want to talk about the word stupid for a second, this episode is about the word smart, but if we're talking about smart, we have to talk about the opposite. Uh, there is a discussion, mostly in the left-leaning corners of the internet where I spend my time, that the word stupid is uh, ableist because it comes from, etymolo- uh, etymologically um, refers to people who have what we might call now intellectual disabilities. Uh Now, look, we cannot make an etymological argument for everything because where something came from is not where things are. Otherwise, we would not allow language to develop. So this whole, every, the etymology, I keep using the the adverb, the etymology of something is not necessarily the way it is being used now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, just to be clear about that. However... I do sort of understand and agree with the argument that what we're really talking about isn't just people's ability to understand things, but the fact that they are ignorant. Sometimes I get a little, well, is it really ignorant? Like, maybe they just, they just can't understand. Th-. But no, it's really that in 2019, most people, and the people I'm talking about are people in the developed, developed world, or whatever you want to refer to it as, the information is out there. Uh, These people have access to the internet, the people I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people who've never seen a phone before or something like that. Not that they're unintelligent or anything. I'm just saying that's not who I'm referring to. Uh, You can find out the information that you want. The internet, it's all out there. And people who I'm talking about, and let's be clear, I'm talking about really conservative, racist, all of those people are ignoring facts, right? The facts are there. They're looking at the facts and saying, these facts do not fit my worldview, and therefore I shall discard them. It's satisfying to refer to these folks as stupid because, like, come on. But uh, truthfully, they really are. It's ignorance that's the problem. And there are people who simply haven't been exposed to certain things, and people who haven't been exposed to certain things, you know, maybe are a little bit less able to be blamed for what they do unless they do something truly harmful however if someone has been exposed to something and they take that inconvenient fact and they place it in the garbage then it's it's really ignorance that we want to call out so i do not i don't know that i would go so far as to think that using the word stupid stupid automatically makes someone ableist or something like that uh not sure I would go that far, however, again, this is only my perspective, but then it 's my podcast so uh, But I would say that ignorant is often more accurate for what we uh, what we 're talking about here, like I would love to say that Donald Trump is stupid, but what he really is is ignorant because all the information is there, and he just doesn't want to hear it, and it 's the same for all of his people uh. And also, ignorant leads us to the word ignoramus, and that is a fun, fun word to say. And if I'm going to be a language nerd for a second, and I don't know why I wouldn't be considering it's a language podcast, the plural of ignoramus is not ignorami. It's actually ignoramuses, because uh, although the word comes from Latin, ignoramus was not a verb. Sorry, ignoramus was a verb, and therefore it is not a noun with the U.S. pluralized into an I. So you can feel free to say ignoramuses. Ignoramuses. And of course, even if that wasn't technically the term, it would be fine because uh, I am not a prescriptivist. But I'm saying in a positive way saying ignoramuses is fine. And anyway, the point is a lot, I would say that the word stupid isn't necessarily ableist, but I would say that a lot of the words we use for people we might otherwise refer to as stupid can be because the people that we're referring to as moron and so forth often are people that we might classify with disabilities or something like that. They have, at least in the past, uh, been referred to as these things instead of actually appreciating their circumstances. Uh, And so that's all I'll say about the word stupid and the things related to it. This discussion, however, is about the word smart. Uh, and what that really means, because I think that the way that the label is applied to people, first of all, it's not about multiple intelligences. You know, although uh, athletes would certainly be people to whom a certain type of intelligence would apply, when people talk about extremely gifted athletes, they usually use the word talented, and... Um, So I and then if someone is really good at manual labor or carpentry or something, they might say that they are talented or gifted, lots of certain things. But when people talk about smart, they're pretty much talking about intellectual aptitude and ability and so forth. And so what we're going to talk about is how having that label applied might really be tied to race, or how having that label not be applied might be tied to race, because that's what we do on this podcast, yeah? And I have a very, uh, well, familiar guest for this week's episode, so I hope that you enjoy after this brief musical interlude that podcasts use to make themselves seem slightly more interesting. So this week, my guest, as you would know if you read the description, is no one, or it's me, however you want to think about it, JPB Gerald, although uh, I'm going to refer to myself as my actual first name, which is Justin because it's weird to just say initials, Uh, because this is a topic that has pretty much defined my entire life, Um, both the blackness of it, as much as I ran away from it, which you'll hear, and the label of smart. So let's just start at the beginning. Before my memory starts, um, I was referred to as smart by everybody. Um, I'm not complaining about this. It's just a fact. Uh, when my mom tells stories about me being three years old, she talks about how people referred to her as the woman with the smart baby because I used to do possibly apocryphal things like find out what movies were playing at the theater because I would read the newspaper. Or, you know, I-, I was precocious. Let's put it that way. But uh, in little things like I I, I like to say that I memorized all the stops in the New York subway when I was four, which I think is true. I certainly knew all of them by the time I was six. And, you know, I had obsessions with weird things like not only subways, but like animals and countries. And my mom used to keep a map of the world in her office where I used to write all of the capitals of the world in my terrible and still terrible in 2019 handwriting. But it was impressive. It's the kind of thing that I did as a child. I... Don't remember my nursery school, although it does seem to still exist under a different name, and it's actually a few blocks away from my current job. Uh, But I don't remember that. All I remember is the main school that I went to from age 3 to 16 for 14 years, which was a school for the gifted and talented in Brooklyn Heights, which shall remain nameless, but you can probably figure it out based on some of the things I'm going to say. And that school, a private school, shaped my understanding of what it meant to be smart um, for a long time until, of course, I went to college and all of this stuff later. So I think I'll spend the first part of this talking about everything up through college. Uh, and then I'll spend part two on sort of college, and I'll spend part three on the rest of things. Mostly, it's broken into three parts because I have limited time to record, so here we go. Uh, So my school, everybody was smart. We didn't even really talk about the word smart. Uh, To distance yourself as someone who was even smarter, you had to do something unusual. Uh, My thing when I was a child was math, which you might be surprised to hear considering this is a language podcast, but I was a little math whiz. Was I particularly good at math? I don't know. The numbers came pretty easily to me. Um, Does that mean that I was talented? I really don't know what it means. It just means that um, when things were taught to me, I was able to understand them pretty quickly. I was able to memorize things, is really what it was. I had a very strong and quick short-term and long-term memory. I used to play a game called Socrates, if anyone around the age that I am, which is 33, remembers. It was a computer game that was basically like you would remember strings of letters and sounds and... You know, I used to remember ridiculously long strings of letters and sounds. It's kind of like a Simon Says, those games that came out when I was more like 10, but it was on a computer, back when computer games had like three colors on them or some nonsense. So I was really good at that. And uh, I don't know, I guess my parents decided that uh, math would would become one of the things that I would do. And by the time, and this is what I'm told, by the time I was 4, I was doing long division, which is again funny because I don't really think I can do it now. What that meant was not very much in preschool, I mean what are you going to do? But by the time I got to finish kindergarten, I was exhibiting, you know, a certain level of comfort with math that not everybody does. So, my parents and the school, I don't know who was pushing it, whether it was which side was pushing things. Uh, decided that I should skip first grade. I was sad because I had been given, it was late in the summer when this decision was made because I had already been sent the class list for first grade and all of my classmates from kindergarten were there. Well, not all of them, but most of them, including my best friend who I used to go to his house and play computer games with. Um And then it turned out I was going to go to second grade. Now, this is an entirely different discussion, which I think I will have at some point, because ultimately podcasts are excavations of the host's lives. But I was short, still am, and so being short at age 33 is whatever. Being short when you're six means that you're not only short for your age, but if I was going to be skipped a grade, I was a year of growth behind people, and then also short, which means I was going to be very small very small second grader Um, and I was I didn't think too much about this because I was six all I thought was oh my god these people I don't know them this is going to be weird and it was weird and what happened is is that I stood out in ways that I didn't really want to um, so I ended up having to stand out in ways that were better I was already ahead of the game in math in second grade Um, I don't know what you're doing in second grade math, what fractions or something. So I I guess I was really good at fractions or something. I don't know. Uh, But by the time I got to fourth grade, they decided that whatever fourth grade math was, was too easy for me. So they sent me to fifth grade math. Looking back, what I did when I was in fifth grade math was clearly some sort of cry for help because I was uncomfortable. Um, But I also didn't have the language to express this to anybody. So fifth grade math, which is like, we were doing weird stuff like base bases, like base two, base three. I I, I still don't really understand why that's very important for eight year olds to learn, or I guess they were supposed to be ten. Uh, but at some point, I stopped doing my homework. Just stopped doing it. And I stopped going to math class. It, it, this is the, the nerdiest way of being a troublemaker one can be. But I used to hide in the bathroom and do other homework instead of going to math class. Um, I, I wasn't like out on on the on the street corner drinking or something. Not that that's – I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying that this is what I was. um and I got in trouble, like whatever mild trouble my school would do. And just this, my school sort of shook their finger and my parents were mad, as they should have been. Uh, but I remember that I just, like, I was starting to fall out of favor with math. I, I really didn't enjoy doing it, but I it, it came fairly easily to me. So I just kept at it. I went to sixth grade math when I was in fifth grade, which means I was nine with a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds. And then the same, I just sort of stayed on that path where I was in. Not only was I in sixth grade math when I was nine, but I was in the quote-unquote highest sixth grade math class. Uh, and then I was in seventh grade. And then, you know, it started to fall, really fall apart when I got to algebra because algebra starts to get complicated. And of all the math things, algebra is one of the few things that we all still use. I mean, I think. Um And math got, you know, really complicated then, and I started to get less interested in doing the homework, less interested in learning the stuff, and more interested in following along socially with this one guy who was in my class. Looking back on this guy, this guy, um, he was also struggling academically, let's put it that way, but he had a magnetism to him that was not unlike the current president, especially because he was pretty racist. But I didn't recognize it at the time. And I did whatever I could to follow in this man's footsteps. Uh, He was in my classes for a couple of years from that point on, and I just sort of really idolized this guy. And I I don't know why. I think it's just because he got social attention. I spent more time paying attention to this boy Um, and what he did to make people laugh and annoy the teacher than I did to actually doing my homework until it became apparent I was falling behind in math class. I I say all of this to say that I really did start to struggle in math, and math was the only way that I really stood out in a positive way. So uh, when we talk about the word smart, which is I do have a point here, I didn't really feel smart after that, and people stopped... Referring to me as smart within the school. Uh, I was just a kid who was in classes that were a little bit too difficult for him. And I really started to struggle. And I got to seventh grade especially. And the, like, seventh, sixth, I was in the same school. Nothing changed. Same building. But sixth to seventh grade, as most mi- people will tell you, is a big gap uh academically things get harder you you really got to like start to put the work in and i didn't i had been coasting on my reputation as smart for a long time and also because i just only had but so much homework to do i was able to do it i got to 7th grade and got hit hit with a ton of bricks and i've told this story to everyone in my life but uh You are not all people in my individual personal life. Yeah, so in seventh grade, I panicked, and one day I decided not to go to school. I rode the subway with my dad. He got off a stop before I got got to school, and he allowed me to finish going to school because, remember, I memorized all the subway stops, and I stayed on the subway all day. Um, I... Got out and used my lunch money to go to McDonald's each day, which means it was like a nice little theme park for me. Some sort of psychologist might tell you that I was reverting to childhood with my love for Subways, but the point is I was overwhelmed with my schoolwork and I didn't want to do it. I went back to school a few days later after I got in trouble, uh, but I didn't really do my homework most of seventh grade. Now, I went to a special gifted school where they didn't give you letter grades. I probably would have failed some classes if they did. This is one of those things about being in such a privileged position that my whatever rebellion or panic did not actually result in very much besides me not feeling smart. So I didn't feel smart, and I got to high school. I didn't feel smart. People outside of school still called me smart, Uh, and I started to realize without being able to name it that to the people in my life outside of school, I was still the smart kid. That doesn't mean I was smart and everybody else was dumb. It's just that that was the first thing that came up. I was smart. Uh, And to some people, uh, you know, people still admired my aptitude and my ability. Um, But I didn't feel like I actually had much going for me because I was at I was surrounded by people whose level of ability I thought was at my level or much higher. Uh, it turns out that wasn't really true. But uh, anyway, high school comes. And in high school, they start talking to you about college. And now let's be clear on this. This is a school that had a reputation for getting everybody into the best schools that they could have possibly wanted to go to. That's why people pay all that money for it. And of course, it's twice as expensive now as it was then as these things go. But uh, college starts to come around, and it starts to become like a thing. Like, I was scuffling and struggling in school, and I don't know, one day they gave us a speech in ninth grade saying, look, you need to get it together, everyone. And so I did, and I became more similar to the student I am now, not in terms of like actual good schoolwork, but in terms of getting it done early. So ninth grade, I started doing all my homework as opposed to doing none of it. I don't know how good it was, but it was finished. It was complete. Um, and I just really thought I was an average student. I thought that there was nothing about my schoolwork that was exceptional. And I did not feel smart. Uh, and I realized at one point, though, that people still thought of me as smart at the school. Now, the teachers, I don't mean the teachers, teachers were always kind to me and thought that I was intelligent, but I don't think that, the, that I was seen in, in an exceptional manner. I mean my classmates. So I, I'm saying all this to lead up to a particular story. We got to 11th grade, we're all thinking about colleges and where people are going to apply and stuff like that. And this is a very privileged conversation we're all having about what quote-unquote elite schools people want to go to. But uh, two people, who shall also remain nameless, were talking about affirmative action. There were, uh, like, two or three people at my in my high school, a very artsy-fartsy high school where people are very politically progressive, uh, or nominally so. Uh, they were talking about affirmative action, and this was not the two or three people who were conservative or openly conservative. Like, the guy who I'm talking about who was openly conservative was not in this conversation. He was also a year ahead of me, so he wouldn't have been in the conversation with us. And these two people were talking about how affirmative action wasn't fair and was going to screw them out of spots in some colleges. These are the kind of conversations that I don't know if people have without me because I don't know what people talk about when I'm not there. But it often seemed to happen in front of me. And I sometimes think that it was on purpose. Like I think they would have these conversations while I was very clearly in earshot just so that they knew that I knew what they were saying. And they had this discussion about how it wasn't fair and then they looked at me, and someone, one of the two of them said, yeah, but what about Justin? And the other one said, eh, Justin's smart. There's a lot in that very short phrase. First of all, me now, you know, 16 years later or something like that, I understand all of the things. But at the time, I thought, Wow. They think I'm smart. They still think I'm smart. I haven't done anything to set myself apart in several years, and they still think I'm smart. I had no extracurriculars. I mean, I was a Boy Scout, but I didn't really like it very much. Uh, I wasn't on any sports teams. I, I took AP tests, and I got threes, which is college-level work, but to my classmates who were getting fours and fives, it wasn't particularly exceptional. Yeah, I did well on my SATs, but I didn't do as well in my class. You know, all these things where I I felt like an also-man. I felt like I was average in a lot of ways. And they still thought I was smart. I look back and I realize what they meant was affirmative action is a problem because it will let undeserving people in. If Justin gets in, it doesn't matter because he is not like the rest of them, right? A lot of the way that I was framed in these people's minds was that I wasn't like the rest of the black people. They weren't going to say this, and if I said this to the two people who were having this conversation, I know exactly who they were. I could talk to them if I want to. I can find them on Facebook. Uh, They would deny. But the point being, for much of my life, especially from white classmates, not so much from white teachers, but some, uh, being smart really meant that I was exceptional, at least in compared to other black people. And then within the school, uh, it meant that I was exceptional in some way. To be smart really meant to be different. Uh, and I look back, and there are so many things about that school, which I could get into but won't, that are really uncomfortable, I can't say that I would have done better at a different school because I probably would have had my own discomfort no matter where I was. but I started to, to just sort of feel that um, the label of smart was 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 not as much of a benefit as I thought it was because it was it was sort of a box you know I started to think of myself only as. A person who did things well intellectually, and I also didn't feel like I was all that great at things intellectually. Yeah, I did well on some tests, like I said, but um, I just sort of felt like it was limiting. Labels, I think, labels that are chosen by the person can be empowering, and labels that are imposed externally can really be limiting. So I got sort of trapped in this this idea that I was smart and black, but smart in a way that allowed me not to be so black as to negate my intelligence. You understand what I mean by that? To be black, to be unapologetically black, to be anti-racist and black, Um, and I was not unapologetic at the time. I was very apologetically black at the time, and uh, I didn't even think about anti-racism at the time. I think that to a certain type of person, To be those things, to be black and to be proud of it and to be conscious of what it really means and to be learning all the time is not the type of intelligence that is respected. So if you call someone smart, you're saying that you are able to do a reasonable, respectable, exceptional facsimile of whiteness. A certain type of whiteness, too, because, you you know, not like a quote-unquote poor white person. You can fit in to the white majority you can be acceptable you can be one of the good ones and that is really what they mean when they say smart i don't mean this is what my family meant my family truly meant you know that i that they thought i was exceptional, extraordinary, whatever these things are. And I look back and I realize that I didn't appreciate how much support my family was giving me. But from my classmates, not all of them, but some, when they thought about my intelligence, when they talked about it, what they really meant was, you're one of the good ones. You're one of the ones that it's okay to invite into my home. The person I'm talking about who used to just cause trouble, he never got in trouble, though. He would get sent to office and nothing ever happened to him, and he was genuinely rejecting the lessons being taught, right? The same way that I don't think I would have been able to get away with. I was just making jokes. Uh, But this is a family that on 9-11, I went to their house and they had like Fox News on. And I really wasn't even thinking about what that meant. But they welcomed me in because I was one of the good ones to people who think about these sort of things. So I went to college With this idea that intelligence and being one of the good ones were one of the same. And it really sort of did a number on me when I got there. But we'll come back and talk about that. So let me back up a bit before I get into college. Now, I grew up, you know, mostly in the 90s. And on television, Mm -hmm. you had black nerds. You had your Urkel and you had Carlton Banks, although they were different in. A lot of ways, no one thought those characters were cool. People thought they were funny to laugh at. Uh, people have done entire, you know, academic papers and books on black nerds. But I wasn't quite like them. But I had high water pants. You know, I had. Uh, I ended up going to Princeton, and so I just sort of became Carlton in a lot of ways. Those characters were smart, and being smart was not cool. It was contrasted with the brothers or siblings on that show like eddie or or will both of those characters were shown like concretely shown at at not being uh, particularly good at at, uh, school assignments but they were still the you know i don't know that eddie was a hero but uh they were still seen as much cooler than the main characters so that's the backdrop culturally of these sort of things Uh, and you know White people did watch those shows. If they were only watched by black people, they wouldn't last as long as they did. Anyway, I get to college, and I didn't really talk too much about the blackness in the first part because the thing is I didn't think too much about blackness when I was at the school that I was at for 14 years. I was obviously black, but when discussions of race came up, I just sort of, you know, sidled away from them, it's, and, and, and didn't really place myself heavily into blackness. There were moments when I did, when hip-hop came up or things like that, and people said disparaging things about it, I would defend it, but uh, I wasn't really speaking consciously as a black person, black boy. College was different though, because it was the first time I had the experience really, again, outside of my family, but I'm talking about my peers, my people I'm socializing with, The first time that I had an experience of seeing people who were both unapologetically, or at least not quote unquote passing or whatever, Mm -hmm. black and smart. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was not something I was familiar with. It was not something I was comfortable with. Things that I could read on the TV, obviously, Um, like uh, I knew that there were black intellectuals I knew of a Cornell West who ended up being my professor once. He once told me to uh, stop making noise when I was making noise in his lecture. But I didn't really know them as my peers. I got to Princeton, and, you know, uh, this was sort of uncomfortable for me. I got to the Activities Fair, fall 2003, and there's all these groups, black groups, And they were all really friendly to me, and I did not sign up for any of them. I can't tell you what I was really feeling consciously, other than a vague discomfort. But what I would say is that I didn't want to be defined by my blackness. Uh, And I realized a couple of years later, while I was still in college, that you can choose to define yourself or not define yourself by your blackness, but the world, the United States, is going to define you by your blackness. That may not be the only way they define you. They define you by your, your class. They define you by your gender. They define you by all of these things. But you can't just walk out into the world in the United States and put on a Princeton sweatshirt, and then they forget that there's a black face there, right? Right? So uh, I was trying and failing to just sort of be like my white classmates, which I had done easily for 14 years because I had known them since I was a child. I didn't really have to try. But at Princeton, it was like, now, you know, if you if you didn't go to a school like that, and I don't mean good. I just mean like that. Uh, it's not all like scions of the Rockefeller family oh there was literally one of those in my class uh there's a lot of people who have a lot of money but they they still live in the dorms right like like you you can have all the money in the world Princeton will tell you you will be in the dorms that doesn't mean that they're an egalitarian place just that you are people are teenagers you're rubbing shoulders with uh these people and mostly they're 17 18 19 year old kids who just want to get drunk and and or you know whatever people do at that age they're not that different at that point within that bubble and i did not have the confidence to really stake myself out as my own identity like most 17 year olds but let's be clear i was 17 when i got to college and i'm not going to spend too much time on college but uh that discrepancy between being black and being smart or being, or the uh, impression I got that I would not be seen as exceptional in a good way if I identified as, as black uh, was really something that I regret. I can't do anything about it now, but I do. Uh, I wish I had really dug into studies of my race and so forth But I really just wanted to have some friends. Now, I think that I read a lot of narratives from first-generation college students, which I was not, second-generation. I read narratives from people who grew up in, in poverty, which I did not. And they talk all about the ways that college was exclusionary. And I can't really count myself as one of those people because it's not the life that I had. Uh, My parents knew how to navigate a college sphere, having done it themselves at a time when it was, let me say, much more difficult than it was for me. Um, I couldn't, you know, I read a lot of books from people who are people of color and they talk about how their parents didn't understand the system, so therefore they couldn't call on their parents for help. I never called on my parents for help because I had too much pride or I was afraid or something like that, but... uh, I didn't have that in my life, but what I did have was still the, uh, you know, innate desire to want to be accepted, and unfortunately, I wanted to be accepted by a group of people that would always see me as somewhat different. This isn't to say I never had any good friends. Um, I go back, you know, most years to see the campus and so forth, but... Uh, I look back now, and I realize that I was chasing something that didn't exist. This idea that I could just, you know, be seen as 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 exceptional for things that were unrelated to my blackness, and that's not uh, it's not possible. So college ended up being socially pretty difficult. Um, not entirely the fault of others often my own. And I finished really uh, my second, my my last year or two starting to think about how there was no way to escape blackness or escape the trappings thereof. And I wish that I had uh, really dug into it because I was in it. I had a great opportunity. You know, there's a lot of things that going to a school like Princeton can give you. And I did end up accepting the chance to graduate with the other black graduates because they have a uh, additional, not separate, but additional ceremony for, for them. And I remember agreeing with my godfather, who thought that these sort of things were silly and, and uh, demeaning, although he did show up for uh, a different ceremony. And I was wrong, because th- there's no way to stop being black Unless you want to be like Candace Owens and you know spend all of your money on denying the existence of racism, or some of the other people I see on the internet, you know who are clearly people of color and who think that white privilege doesn't exist and all this stuff, like you just you're just telling yourself that these things don't exist so that you can feel more okay with the world. All right, Candace, and I know you're making a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people like Stacey Dash, and, and unfortunately, like Ben Carson and Kanye, and whatever. I don't know what these people are doing, uh, but you can't like you you can you can you know suck the teat of the Trumpkins all you want, but you're still black or Latinx or whatever it is. And uh, I, although was although I was never conservative or anything, I really was trying to show people that I was one of the good ones, one of the acceptable ones. And there is no way that you can rinse yourself of the blackness that is is on you. So you spend all your time with that internal tension, and it it doesn't help. Um, And college ended up being an experience that I spend way too much time still thinking about, but it really... To find my ideas of what it is to be smart and black, and I look back and I realize that there were so many people around me who were both smart and unapologetically black, uh, and I was too much of a coward to do that myself. I still thought, subconsciously, unconsciously, that smart was, you know, both smart and acceptable to the majority, or the majoritized. And that was a mistake that I made, and it led to a lot of the struggles I had later on. But I also don't think that it's necessarily my fault for believing that. This wasn't just something that, was, that I made up myself. I think this was also the way that the circumstances around me um, imposed upon me, where you know, to, to be acceptable as both, to be acceptable as smart, you couldn't be acceptable as black. And I'm not saying that black people didn't accept me. I'm saying the the image of black people was not one that uh, I fit in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's a lot of ways. The Masculinity is involved here, too, right? Um, I was not stereotypically masculine. I'm still not. Not only do I have this wonderfully deep baritone of a voice, but... I, at the time, was not athletic and, and I was not artistically talented. All of the things that people find exceptional about, you know, people of color, well, at least they are allowed to have these other talents. I didn't have any of those. Um, I wasn't even so exceptional academically that I could transcend these things, which is what I was trying to do. I was trying to be exceptional in some way so I could transcend race like like that's possible. But I wasn't even a very good student. Like in college, I was pulling down, you know, mostly Bs. I had some lower, some higher. Um, I was really just trying to keep my head above water. And again, because I was not exceptional, I really didn't feel very smart around all the people I was around. And I'm sure you can understand where this story is going in the future, where I'm going to say that I came to understand what it was like to be both smart and unapologetically black. But... uh, college was a really, really challenging experience for that reason, and I think that there are a lot of people in my position who were people of color who went to these types of schools and they either were able to do what I wasn't able to do, which is to swallow the blackness to some extent, or they weren't afraid like I was. What set them apart? Why they weren't afraid? I don't know. Maybe because they didn't, maybe because they were first generation and they couldn't, quote unquote, swallow the blackness, or maybe it was because it didn't bother them. Maybe they were a Candace Owens type where the trappings of black, you know, I, uh, I don't like to bring this human up, but uh, all that stuff in the pound cake speech by the person who would prefer to be known as Cliff Huxtable but is not, you know, up to that standard. Uh, there's a lot of people who I think that I went to school with who kind of think that way. Uh, or, you know, from certain types of communities who think that we've got to pull our pants up and all this nonsense. You know, pants on the ground, pants on the ground. And so I was determined not to have my pants on the ground while also wanting to, you know, be exceptional to my classmates. There's a lot of contradictions in there, and I think this is one of the things that It's hard for people who aren't people of color to understand is that we have to think about our relationship with our race pretty much all the time. Even when I was trying desperately not to think about my relationship to my race, it was occupying the front part of my brain. I don't mean literally, but you know what I mean. It was at the top of my mind all the time, even without me realizing it. You have to spend so much energy on what it means to be who you are that you can't spend as much energy on other things. And it holds a lot of folks back. Um, it helped me back at least. And so when I think about what it felt like for me to be seen as smart, you know, for me really up through college, being smart just meant like I was like my classmates and also different from other black people. And that really started to trouble me right around when I finished college. So then it was like, okay, now I got to go be an adult and be smart. And what's my relationship to being black? Well, dramatic pause. So here's adulthood. I finished college. I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. I knew I didn't want to become an investment banker, which would have been the fastest path to a lot of money. If I had been an investment banker, it would have been another. It would have been a lifetime of trying to swallow my blackness. Because unless I started some black investment bank, I couldn't be walking around being super black there. I didn't have a conscious appreciation of what blackness meant. I just knew that there was something going on inside of me that made me feel uncomfortable with this dichotomy. So I go to Korea. You've heard about this. I go there. Being black is different there than it is in the United States. I talked about that in the first episode. I've talked about it a lot of ways. But basically, they were ignorant in a lot of ways. They had never met black people. They were only learning blackness through the Internet and television. And they thought I looked like Heinz Ward. Uh, or then they thought I looked like Obama. I don't really look like either of them. This is just their only frame of reference. However, it wasn't hostile. The only hostility I got, you know, the h- most horrific things that people said to me in South Korea were obviously from other white people, other interesting Freudian slip there, from white people, other Americans, other Westerners, other quote-unquote native, no, bad word to use when you hear in the next episode, but home English speakers, Uh, I told somebody I didn't really know my family heritage because of slavery, and they said, how could you possibly not know? You really need to do something about learning about your family. That woman was Irish. Um, Or people who, I told people that saying racist things like Indian dot not feather was not okay, and people surrounded me and said, you need to learn to take a joke and lighten up. Or I had people say that blackface was just, you know, a way of doing things. It was just a costume. Somebody wanted to be, I don't know if you remember 2008, they had um, iPod commercials where people were dancing and they were like silhouettes. And somebody was like, I just want to be a silhouette, so I'm going to paint my face black. Now, she must have known that this was possibly problematic because she asked me about it, right? So she wanted to make her case to me, thinking that if she could make her case to me, that it would be okay. This is usually what I was to people. I was everyone's sounding board on things that they thought were racist and they could not even listen to the racism part. Because if they really were willing to listen, they wouldn't have brought it up. They just would have not done it. Anyway, I told her, no, that's racist, blackface is bad. And she got really offended. Um, And this, this happened to me a lot. I became a certain type of white person's sounding board for their racism. And it was just, it got really infuriating. And I realized that you go to Korea, you stand out for being black there. But to the Koreans, you're a fascination. Bad things happen, but I never felt like these people wanted to harm me. To the white people, though, like, these people were nominally smart in the United States in the sense that in the United States, having a college degree uh, marks you as a certain type of smart I'm not saying if you don't have one, you're not smart. I'm saying in the United States, to a certain type of person, maybe not the Trump people, but to a certain type of person, that's like a feather in your cap. Like, you can call yourself a smart person. not saying you should do that. I'm saying that that's the way the word is used. These people all had college degrees because you had to have a college degree to have that job in Korea. And the level of ignorance that I experienced there, as uncomfortable as I sometimes wanted at Princeton or in high school I got to tell you, man, it was some of my first experience to regular Western white folks outside of the quote-unquote elite schools I went to. There are a lot of problems at the schools I went to, but I had never experienced this nonsense, man. Like, every, like there were some people who I'm really good friends with, who I still talk to, who may be listening to this. Hi, Jeremy and others. Uh, but like the rest of them, like, my God, and this is where the word comes in. These were some goddamn ignoramuses. Like, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So that experience, I came home, and I was like, I don't know what's going on with these people. I went back to school, and now school I went to mostly online for my master's because I was working random part-time jobs, and I didn't know what my schedule was. And so here I am again. I'm in school. I'm at another top school. And uh, I was one of the few, as ever, few black people involved in the program. But the program didn't put me in opposition to people because it was an English teaching program, a language teaching program. So we talked about a lot of culture. Now, I look back now, and I wish we had talked about race, because if you're teaching English to people who are learning the language, most of them are going to be people of color. Um, this is the entire point of some of the work that I'm doing. It's why this podcast is this. is because I didn't talk about race in my master's program, and in the years since then, I felt disappointed that I didn't push it. And I'm using that to do some of my research in my current my doctoral program. And that's why I do what I do. But the point being, I did not... My blackness did not come into play. My intelligence... I was back to sixth grade. I was coasting on the label of smart because, you know, the amount of homework I had to do just wasn't that much. Also, I was only working part-time. I had a lot of free time. So... Uh, I... Didn't really think about my blackness when it came into school. I didn't really mention being black. Like, it was obvious, but I I didn't bring it up as far as my teaching was concerned. And again, I had this fallow period for a while where I just didn't really think about being black. Only time black came up was with my family or, you know, in in other places. My friends accepted me. I deliberately, like, consciously chose a group of friends who were never going to act as as ignorant as the people I knew in South Korea. And uh, so then you know, I I decided to go back to school. And and one of the things about going back to school is I originally said I I wanted to go back to school because I had worked in a community English program and the attrition was very high, the retention was very low. It's a free program. It's going to happen to some extent, but it just seems like a lot of these programs accept half of their students leaving. Well, what happens to those students? They still wanted to learn English in the first place, so why are they leaving? And I got the idea that they must be somewhat uncomfortable. Yes, things happen, but other than that, like... They leave because they don't feel welcome in the school, in the classroom. They feel like it's exclusionary, even though they are say they're being welcomed. There's a, a discrepancy between what's being said and what's being done. And I, I started looking at research, and I started thinking about the fact that at least they show this for black boys in school. They do better as soon as they see one black teacher, right? One black teacher. Now, it's not necessarily proven with every race, it's not necessarily proven with women, or girls, depending, and it's not necessarily proven with adults. But I started looking at the research, and it, it seems like there, there is a, a, a different way that people teach when they have a better, a closer experience with the students. Uh, so I started doing research on that. And in spring of this past year, I went to a conference, and I started going to classes, uh, classes, conferences, presentations that were related to race and language. And let me tell you, when I started sharing things about race and language across the Internet, I got some interesting responses. I got some people who were really supportive, which is the only reason this podcast exists, because, you know, there are 50 of you who want to hear what I have to say. And then there were people who just just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it being challenged about race in teaching or race in language teaching. So I started I, I mean, I had this feeling in April, and the feeling was this sort of sharp was it pain, discomfort, whatever. i spent the last two years really getting my head right, you know, get, getting my mental self together and gaining a level of clarity that I'd never had before. And when I had that feeling in April, when someone challenged me on some of the things I was sharing about race and teaching, I realized it was the feeling I'd had for so many years in high school, middle school, college. That feeling of, I'm uncomfortable because my position is being dismissed. My perspective is being dismissed. You know, I would the feeling of I will never be taken seriously as intelligent, a certain type of intelligent, because of my identity. And I realized I cannot convince these people that I am smart the way they define it. Most people, I don't know, most many people will see the things that I'm been able to do, that I continue to do, and realize that along some definitions that I am intelligent. But it doesn't really matter, is the point. The people I'm trying to prove myself to will never accept anything as proof. Not one single thing will they accept. As long as I am attached to it. It will not be accepted. Anyone who's listening to this is not going to be someone who is skeptical of the prevalence of racism in language education or racism in language or racism in life. You know, uh, I am not doing this podcast to convert any skeptics, although I'm hopefully trying to inform people who are interested but don't know some things. And most of what I'm going to do in my nascent career is not going to be convincing people who completely disagree with me. I used to spend hours and hours on Facebook arguing with this guy who uh, is, uh, you know, probably kind of a white supremacist. He would disagree because he's Jewish, but, well, some, some Jewish people vote for Trump, so I don't even know what to say about that. Anyway, he used to spend hours. I remember looking at my phone, refreshing it, and we were in the middle of a Facebook battle, and I was just like, ah, I'm waiting for him to come back with his six paragraphs. Then I would write my five paragraphs, and this would be my afternoon because I didn't have anything going for me. And I realized what I wanted was to prove my intelligence to this man. This ignoramus. I wanted to prove my intelligence to him. Eventually, I just deleted him after he said something homophobic, which he still doesn't think is homophobic, by the way, which I've heard through the grapevine. He denies that what he said was homophobic. He won't apologize because he is basically like the president. Uh, And... I spent so much time trying to prove my intelligence to him and to some other looking back, super racist white people, that I wasted so much time. I could have started, you know, a doctoral program years earlier, although I might not have gotten in. You know, I could have I could have done so many things in my life if I hadn't been so obsessed with trying to prove how smart I was to people who would never and will never accept it. The people who are listening to this and are like, but Justin, you're smart. I'm not worried about you, and I appreciate your support. It was the people that I spent all of my energy, all of my heart, and way too much of my brain on, that have changed the course of my life in ways that I wish that I could go back and undo. But what can we do about it? We can only look towards the future. So the whole point of this entire thing, which is mostly about me, but I think has a broader point, is that uh, obviously intelligence intellectual ability, whatever you want to call it, and maybe you shouldn't call it that, but the word is still used that way. Being smart is obviously not antithetical to being black. In fact, I was ignorant in all of those years when I tried to separate the two. To me, whatever it is that you identify as racially, or in terms of your multiple identities, your gender, your class, if you try to deny that, or not even consciously deny it, but if you do not embrace it, get conscious of it, that is ignorance. All those people that are out there trying to justify their support of President 45 because... They think that the concept of racism is overblown and that they are the real victims. They are completely ignorant of their true identities, which is to say, as part of an oppressive group. You know, I don't, some people think this. I don't think that if you're white, you cannot be successfully anti-racist. It's hard, but I also think that men can be successful feminists or um, supportive of groups that they are not, you know, generally considered a part of. I think that we need, in if we we're in an oppressive group, and as a man I am, uh, to be very supportive of the groups that we have historically oppressed or harmed. And I think that to not understand what our group has done or is doing is true ignorance. When when we, we as men or when you as white people hear the story of someone who is not in your group and the pain it has caused them and the, you know, uh, harm that has occurred and our first instinct is to deny it, that is true ignorance. So what is it to be smart? What is it? to to really be smart is, is, to me, it's to know your multiple identities, to believe deeply in the power of the person that you are for good or for ill, and not to, as much as is possible, because, you know, it's easier for me to say, well, I should have just been more in tune with my blackness, but I also didn't grow up without any money, and I didn't need to be cleaning a store, and therefore my entire, you know, paycheck was dependent upon me sanding down the edges of my blackness. It's a whole other discussion to be had about the word professional and how, you know, dreadlocks and so forth are not considered uh, professional or you know, things like that. It's not a discussion for this time because I'm going to have an entire episode on the word professional. But all that time I spent from age probably from when I skipped first grade in 1992 to oh, maybe 2012. So that's that's, that's a solid two decades where I spent trying to prove that I was smart to majoritize groups of peers. And I should have been doing what I've been doing for the last year, or at least year and a half, and looking at the the skills and identities I have and seeing what was beautiful about them. You know, because I think that our identities, even if we're part of an oppressive group, there is beauty in all of our identities. There is intelligence in all of our identities. And denying the full scope of what we, as men as black people as you know uh, cisgender people as as trans people you know whatever it is whatever groups you are in denying the full scope of that is the most ignorant thing you can do i apologize to the younger boy that i was for not understanding all of what he was and all of what he could have done and i think that the only way For any of us to deserve the label of smart, to earn the label of smart, is to fully love and accept the many facets of the people that we are. I'm not sure how profound that was. I said it very slowly. So maybe that makes things seem more profound. I don't know. What about you? Um, let me know what you think. Uh, you can find me as ever. I haven't done this before, but you can find me as ever at, at JPBGerald on Twitter. Although, presumably, you found out about this link from my Twitter account, so you kind of already know that. But um, thanks for listening. This is kind of the autobiographical one. I may do another one of these on other issues eventually but um, thanks for listening this has kind of taken me all the way from birth to now and I just want to say that my mom was the woman with the smart baby as she likes to say it's just that it took me a couple of decades to realize how smart I could have been